Hey! I am a cologne-aholic. I plead guilty to that. I love cologne. I believe you ought to get baptized in it when you get saved. But I'd rather smell like a doctor than a goat, wouldn't you, brother? Thank you for being here. Luke chapter number 11. Let me get right into the Word of God. They roll the streets up here at 9.30. We need to be out of here. Thank you for all the good singing. Thank you for the motel. Thank you for the food. It's been a great joy to be with you these couple of days. And I know Pastor Castle is going to come in and do a great job Wednesday through Friday. And then Brother Price, I think, will be here on Saturday. So be sure to come back and be here every time you possibly can. Jordan got saved last night and he's back. And Devin got saved last night and he's back. Let's give them a hand. We're so excited to have them back in the house of God tonight. And it's Especially you preachers, thank you so much for coming. I have a full schedule, and I know you do as well, and I don't take it lightly that you took time to come out and be with us tonight. Thank you so much. And Brother Lyle, when you can afford it, will you buy your mother a real guitar? I, I, that's the funniest looking guitar I've ever seen in my life. Looks like a midget's guitar, but maybe, maybe we can scrum up enough money to get her a full-size one. But thank you again for being here. Luke chapter number 11, verse number 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. And I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be open. Thank you for reading with me today. So Jesus gives a parable, and as soon as he does, he ends it with a promise. I'm going to show it to you. Jesus gives a parable about this guy that's in bed, he's put his kids to bed, the lights are out, he's locked the door. And his friend comes up at midnight knocking on the door and said, Look, i got a friend that's journeying through town. I need to feed him. He's hungry and I don't have anything. Can you loan me three loaves of bread? And the man said, Look, the lights are out. My kids are asleep in bed. I don't want to disturb anything. Go home. But the Bible said that he finally arose and gave him what he wanted. Not because he was his friend. But he did it because of his importunity. Do you know what the word importunity means? Persistence. Because of his determination, because of his endurance, because of his resolve, because of his firm purpose, because of his dedication, because of his faithfulness, because of his commitment, because of his steadfastness, he finally got up and gave him what he wanted. I want to preach tonight on the virtue of persistence. The virtue of not quitting. Now, with this parable, right after that, God gives us 
three promises, and you'll find it in these verses. Number one, God said this, Ask, and you shall receive. That deals with prayer. Seek, and you shall find. That deals with people. Because the Bible said Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Then He said, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. That deals with progress in your Christian life. Man, what revival we could have in our churches if people would start praying, start reaching people, and get to a level they'd never been with with God. Look, you don't ever limit God when it comes to the progress of your life. He can do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we're able to ask or think. I was thinking about these guys that got saved last night. And Jordan came forward, and his wife was here with him last night. He got saved. And he's got tattoos up his arm, he's got a bun on his head. And I remember when I got saved, my hair was in a ponytail, I had tattoos. I had out in 36-inch bell-bottom blue jeans, 4-inch white platform shoes, and a dirty t-shirt, and my hair in a ponytail. And most of the people that would have walked by me the night I got saved would have said, I'm glad he got saved, that's probably as far as he's going to go. But see, don't let other people determine how far you can go with God. Because for 45 years, I've been doing every day of my life what I am doing right now. I'm telling you, Jordan, God's got something for you. Devin, God has something for you. Don't you let people limit God in your life. I'm telling you, God can do more with you than you've ever dreamed. If you'd let go and let God have your life. So why don't we start asking more? Last night I dealt with being persistent in prayer. Tonight I want to talk about seeking ye shall find. I want to talk about being persistent with people. COVID and laziness and empathy in the last days has killed evangelism in the average church. I'm not exaggerating. I did a survey the other day, 50% of the churches in the state of Tennessee in 2022, 50% did not have one conversion or one baptism the whole year. Half of the churches in our state. Many churches are surviving. They are in a survival mode. There's just a handful of elderly people holding that thing together. And in most churches, when they die off, the church will be forever gone. We have stopped our outreach. When's the last time you were in an old-fashioned meeting and you saw people get saved? It's becoming a thing of the past. 79% of the lost people said they would come to church if somebody really cared about them and asked them to come. You know why Devin got saved last night? First-time visitor. You know why he got saved? Because somebody invited him here. You know why Jordan got saved? He started listening to me on Facebook or YouTube. He found me on YouTube. Found, listen to every message I've got. That's five years of preaching I have on YouTube. You're an expensive convert, brother. I'll tell you that right now. But somebody's got to go. Seek and you shall find. In other words, you've got to go after them. The day of people just staggering in the church because they want to, them days are gone. Somebody's got to go after them. Jesus left the 90 and 9, went after the one lost sheep, put him on his shoulders and brought him back, and everybody rejoiced. We are living in a day, if we're going to get back to winning people and seeing our churches growing, somebody's got to go after them. 
Now, if you have me very often, I don't care where I go, one night I'm going to preach on going after them. You call it soul winning, evangelism, I don't care what schematic you use, I don't care what terminology you call it. A church will never thrive if it stops reaching their community and reaching out to their people. So I want to talk about being persistent in reaching people. Here's what the Bible said. Psalm chapter 126, They that go forth weeping shall doubtless come again. Bringing, rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, the Bible said, cast your bread upon the water, and after many days, it'll come back to you. Getting people saved excites the church. It builds the assembly. It saves a soul from hell. It revives a congregation. And it changes people's lives forever. It's sad the condition of our churches. Our altars have become empty and dull. Our baptistries are nothing but storage sheds. And the only additions we have in our church are babies being born. Do you realize if everybody in this church would make a commitment to just pray and get one sinner to Jesus this year, you'd be in a building project this time next year. It would overflow this building. You see, God left you here to do something you can't do when you get to heaven. Have you ever thought about that? Somebody said, God left me here to sing. And I love good singing. We had a wonderful time singing. But the Bible said when we get to heaven, we're going to sing a new song. So you can sing when you get to heaven. And some of you, bless God, need to wait till you get there because I've heard you. Somebody said, well, God left me here to shout. And God knows we need shouting in our churches. You've been in as many dead churches as I have. I was in one the other day. I paid a drunk 20 bucks to come and shout. He was worth every dime of it. Shouting's a wonderful thing. But the Bible said in Revelation chapter number 19, we're all going to shout hallelujah four different times. So shouting is not why God left you here. Somebody said, God left me here to pray. Oh, how we need prayer warriors. But praying is communicating to God. We're going to be able to do that face to face when we see Him in heaven. So why is it God left us here? There's something we can do now that we cannot do when we get to heaven. And that's why He left you here. To bring others to Him. You'll never be able to bring anybody to Jesus once you get to heaven. So the reason why God left all of us here after He saved us was to reach somebody else. You mean you've been saved for 15 years and God's never used you to bring anybody to church? Doesn't that trouble you? That you've not been more evangelistic than to get somebody to come? Maybe to knock on a door or send them a text? Or call them on the phone or do the Twitter, Twitter, Twitch, whatever all that stuff is. And get them online and get them to come to church. Why are we not reaching people? Why is our churches at an all-time low in evangelism? Why? You tell me. I'll tell you why. Number one, the reason why we're not winning people in our churches anymore is because it's discouraging. Man, you go so winning, it's, it's rough out there. People aren't hospitable like they used to be. I remember when I used to got saved, you'd go up and knock on somebody's door. Hey, come on in. Get a glass of tea. Bless God, you knock on the door now, they answer with a gun. People are afraid to let you in their homes. There's so many idiots and dope addicts and weirdos and freaks out there that people are afraid. And you get discouraged because you knock on the door, nobody comes. You can hear them in the house, the television's on, the kids playing, but they won't answer the door. You invite them to church. They said, yeah, come hell or high water, I'll be there. Well, there's a lot of hell and high water because they've never come. And then when you see them in Walmart, they run down another aisle because they don't want to be caught in the same aisle. Y'all shaking your head because you know what I'm talking about. 
They stick their dogs on you. They lie about you. They say you're in it for the money and everything else. Call you a cult. And it's discouraging. And if you're not careful, you get to thinking, man, I go everywhere and I can't get nobody. Our church knocked on 2,500 doors in three months of summer vacation. 2,500! Not one sinner came. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself saying, well, we're just in the last days and this is how it is and people just don't want to get saved anymore. Persistence. Importunity says you keep going. When you don't see results, you keep going. God didn't call us to bring results. God called us to carry the gospel to the world. After I get the gospel to them, it's between them and God. But you're never going to win anybody to Jesus if you don't keep trying. you got to keep going. Even when you're discouraged. I wonder, Brother Lyle, how many times your mama got discouraged. The more she prayed, the worse you got. But here you are saved now with a Bible in your lap and the call of God on your life. You know why? Because you never, never give up. That's exactly why. You don't give up on people. I was in a meeting some time ago, and a little old frail man come up to me. He said, I just got saved. I said, well, great. He said, I want to tell you how I got saved. He said, not long after my wife and I were married, some people came by and knocked on our door. I was at work, and they led my wife to Jesus. He said, I'll never forget. I come home that day. We hadn't been married long. She jumped up in my arms. And kissed me and said, honey, the greatest thing that ever happened happened to me today. And he said, well, honey, what is that? She said, some people came by and took a Bible and showed me how to get saved. I got saved today. And she said, I'm going to church Sunday and they're going to baptize me. And I'm going to live for Jesus. He said, now, baby, you can go to church all you want. You can be faithful. I don't care. But don't talk about God around me. And don't invite me to church because I'm not interested. Now, you can take that religious garb and them Bible thumpers and you can hang out down there with them idiots all you want. Don't bring God up to me. She said, I got, that's a deal. But let me tell you what she did do. The next Sunday, she got up and she took a suit that he had. And she laid it at the foot of the bed. And laid a white shirt and a tie. And put his shoes and socks at the foot of the bed. She got up, never said a word. Got dressed in the bathroom, went on to church without him. He said, I rolled over a little while later and saw that suit down there at the corner of the bed. He said, my Lord, that woman needs to leave me alone. He said, brother kid, ten years later, ten years, ma'am, I rolled over and ten years later, every Sunday morning, that suit was laying on the corner of my bed. He said, I said to myself, she'll give up now. It's been ten years and I've never gone. She'll give up now. Matter of fact, she went to church and some of the ladies said, ma'am, it's just the way it is. Some people never get saved. Just give up, leave them alone. There's just some people who don't want God. She said, but I can't give up. I love Him. God loves Him. He needs Jesus like we all did. Twenty years went by. Every Sunday he rolled over and he said, Preacher, that suit, shirt, tie is at the foot of my bed. My wife never said a word. I'd hear her singing in the bathroom. She'd get dressed, go to church. I'd hear that car door slam and I'd say, There she goes again. He said, After 20 years, the preacher's wife come to me and said, Now, honey, I don't want to discourage you, but some men just don't want to get saved. That's just the way it is. And she said, But I can't give up. There's God in heaven and there's breath in his body. God loves him. He needs to get saved. 30 years. 
For 30 years, every Sunday morning, sir, when he rolled over, his suit was at the corner of his bed. 30 years, I said. She went to church after 30 years and the pastor finally said, I don't want you to, I don't want you to get negative and I don't want you to get burnt out and, and, and get mad at God. But there's just some people that don't get saved. She said, oh, but preacher, God's alive. He's a prayer answering God. I, I can't give up on him. I'm the only thing between him and hell. I can't give up. 32 years without missing a Sunday. She said, I got up and I went to the bathroom and I was doing my hair. She said, I put my dress on and I came out. And there stood my husband in that suit. He said, honey, how do I look? She said, you ain't never looked better in your life. And she said, for 32 years, I got in that car by myself. For 32 years, I pulled out of that driveway. For 32 years, I watched husbands and wives sit in church and put their arms around each other and hold hands. And I'd sit there by myself for 32 anniversaries. I went to church by myself. But she said, after 32 years, my man walked in the back door of that church. You could have preached Mary had a little lamb, but he was a coming to Jesus that day. I'm going to tell you something, brother. You can't give up. You cannot give up. You can't give up on people. You persist. You can't get discouraged. I remember I used to preach with Dr. Lee Robertson. He pastored the great Highland Park Baptist Church up in Chattanooga. And him and I preached a meeting together every year. And I'll never forget, they ran buses all over. Man, they ran buses 150 miles each way. Dr. Robertson said one day, he said, one of the bus drivers come up to me and said, Dr. Robertson, we found an old bum laying on a park bench. And we picked him up and brought him here today. Said he's sitting way up there in the balcony. He said, you can smell him before you see him. But said, we got him here today. And if you knew Dr. Robertson, he preached about 15 minutes, gave a little altar call. And big old fellow, a bum, started moving around up the balcony. It wasn't long he seen him come down the steps. The bum came to the altar and fell on his knees and said, Doc, I need Jesus. My life's in a mess. I'm a bum. I don't have anything. I need Jesus. I don't even have a change of clothes. But I need Jesus. Dr. Robertson said he took his Bible and sat on the altar and led that bum to God. He said that bum went up to him and said, Now, Doc, I ain't got nowhere to live. I heard you got dormitories here for college kids. He said, I do, but you're not in college. He said, well, I'll go to college. And he said, I'll tell you what, Doc. If you'll give me 30 days with a place to sleep and something to eat, I'll be gone. Give me a month to get on my feet. Dr. Robertson said, I'll give you a month, son. And he walked away and he looked at his staff and said, that'll be the biggest wasted 30 days we've ever put in a man. Sure enough, the old bum got cleaned up. Spent 30 days at Highland Park Baptist Church eating their food and sleeping in their bed. He came to Dr. Robertson four Sundays later and said, Doc, I'm leaving. I'm going home, putting my life back together and living for Jesus. I'll see you again one of these days. Doc said, there goes 30 days of wasted time. Years later, Doc was old now. His hair was gray and he gave an invitation like he had done all those many years. And a stately businessman came down the aisle. And said, sir, you loved me when I was a bum. When I knelt at this altar, I didn't even have a change of clothes, a bar of soap. I want to give you one million dollars to Highland Park Baptist Church. And before he died, 
he had given Highland Park $15 million. So for all you dope addicts and nobodies that got saved in my meetings, I expect you to come to me years from now. And Jordan, you better have a check. Devin, you better. <laughs> I'm not winning you guys when you're broke and you forget about me. Get me some money! You know why you win people like that? You know what turns a bum into a businessman? People that don't give up, you can't get discouraged. The more you pray, the worse they'll get. But you keep on praying because God's on the throne and He's able to save anybody. You've got to be persistent. You can't allow yourself to get discouraged. Number two, uh, this is the truth. We've quit winning people because their lives are messed up. They're dirty. The day of winning normal people is over. The woman at the well had been married five times and she was shacking with a guy. But Jesus had time for her. The crazy man of Gadara lived in the tombstone and he was naked. The Bible said he wore no clothes. You know why he was naked? The Bible said he was crazy. Crazy people go around naked. You say, well, I go around half naked. Well, you half crazy then, what I'm trying to tell you. But in spite of how messed up they were, Jesus found time for them. You can't push people away because they're dirty. Because we must understand, outside of Jesus, we'd be just like them. You've got you to be careful how you judge people when they come into church. You've got to be careful. Keep your mouth shut. These people don't know what you know. Shut up and leave them alone. You want to ruin a church? Let sheep start instructing sheep. God gave you a shepherd to do that. You shut up. You let God, you let God and His man handle situations. People's lives are dirty and you need to be careful when they come. They know they're dirty, by the way. I was preaching in South Carolina. And a 12-year-old boy came in. I didn't know him. Nobody introduced me to him. And he sat on the back row. You know what bothered me about that kid? He had a baseball hat on. Now, traditionally, a baseball hat in a church isn't something that people are comfortable with. People say, you know, you ought to have more respect. You shouldn't wear a hat in a church. But I'm going to blow your theology and don't get mad at me. Go home and think about it and smoke a joint and calm your nerves. But listen to this. I'm teasing, Jordan. I don't you do that. But let me give you something to think about before you get critical of that. Before the high priest ever went into the Holy of Holies to be in the very presence of God, he put a mitre on his head. He never got in the presence of God that he didn't have a hat on. So sometimes tradition can be stouter than Bible. But it bothers me. I'm just uncomfortable. You understand? Don't look at me like that, you hypocrite. You feel the same way. So this 12-year-old boy comes in and he sits in the back and he's got the baseball and he's got it pulled down over his eyes. You know how they do. We stand up to sing. He don't even stand up. He sits back there with his arms crossed. I said, okay, so he's a punk. He's not only disrespectful, he's a punk. We stood up and sung again. He's sitting back here. He's got his arms closed. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of him. I'll, hey, I know how to preach. And I got to preaching. I was going to come around and get on that hat. And I come around here and I was preaching wide open. I was getting ready to hit him with that hat. Holy Ghost said, I, 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 I. leave that hat alone. I said, man, I was right at that point where I could work it in. And so I came back around. Y'all preachers laughing. You've done it. And I've come back around again. And I said, I get that hat now. And I come over to this side of the building. And I said, I tell you something else. Holy Ghost said, I told you. Leave his hat alone. <laughs> I'm about out of time. I've got to get that thing worked in. And I came back around. And I said, and there's one other thing I want to say. The Spirit of God said, you say anything about that hat, I'm going to whoop you. 
Listen to Brother Lyle. I'm going to whoop you. We stood in for invitation. I said, is there anybody here who'd like to be saved? I looked, and that little boy with that hat on stood up. And walked down the side wall of that church. And he came to the front. And I thought, I'll get his hat off now. That's how dumb I am. Because when you pray, you're supposed to take your hat off. So I thought, I'm going to pray with him. Say, son, take your hat off. And, and when I knelt down, Spirit of God said, I'm telling you now, you're about to get in trouble with me. Leave his hat alone. And I took my Bible, and for the first time in my life, a man in the church had an altar with a hat on. I led to Jesus. I'd never done that. When he got done, he hugged my neck, tears running down his face. He thanked me, and he went back to the pew. I'd never seen him. We were leaving, and his aunt came up to me, and she broke down weeping as she was shaking my wife's hand. And I said, are you okay, ma'am? Is there something wrong? She said, preacher, listen. That little 12-year-old boy is my nephew. He's never been to church in his life. Tonight was the first service he's ever been in a church. And he's got cancer. And all of his hair has fallen out. And he said, I would love to go to church, but I'm afraid the preacher will say something about my hat and embarrass me. She said, that man's preaching for us walks with God. He won't say a thing about your hat. I said, I never crossed my mind. I leave it alone. What difference does it make? And she said, he's eat up in cancer. And you led my nephew to Jesus. Preacher, she called me two weeks later. And said the chemo they were giving him, they knew it could affect his heart. He'd been out fishing with his buddy and was riding his bicycle home. Had a massive heart attack on the side of the road. Two weeks after revival. And they found him dead. Beside his bicycle on the side of the road. Look. What I'm trying to say is, we got to get to the place where we're more interested in people coming to Jesus than we are a hat on their head, or a tattoo on their arm, or an earring in their ear. I mean, have we lost our minds? I mean, something ain't right, man. We, somewhere we're messed up. We're more concerned about a woman wearing a dress than we are her being put in the kingdom of God. We're more worried about a guy taking an earring out of his ear than getting saved. I'm telling you, we've missed the boat somewhere. We've got the cart before the horse. But if you're going to win people in this generation, they're shacking up. They're living in a house with no electricity. They've been to jail. They're tattooed. They've had abortions. They've been shot and stabbed. They cuss. Their families disowned them. They're nothing but a bunch of vagabonds. And they're on the bottom when it comes to society. But that's the very kind of people Jesus came to seek and to save. We cannot give up on those kind of people. We must persist even though we're discouraged. We must persist even though they're dirty. And I must hurry and close you. You know I'm a union preacher. And I get paid by the hour. That's how I've always done my ministry. And Brother Gary brought 30 minutes worth. So you're going to get it and I'm done. Number three, we must persist even though reaching people disturbs us. It's inconvenient to reach people. They'll call you at the most obscure time needing help. Philip's in the middle of a great revival in Acts chapter 8. 3,000 people just got saved. And the Holy Ghost moves on him to get in a chariot and go 60 miles out in a desert to win one black man to Jesus. Winning people is inconvenient. 
It's always going to cost you something. It's always going to interfere with your schedule. But you can't allow that to stop you from going after people. I found this Mexican boy a month ago. And he's married and got a newborn baby. I didn't know him. Had uh, I met him and started talking to him. I started writing him, started texting him. Every Sunday, I'll be there, brother. I'll be there. Never show. I'd text him or call him on Monday. I missed you, brother. Praying for you, man. Want to see you at church. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming, man. I'm coming. Are you listening? Just driving me nuts. And they'll lie like a dog. They'll lie, put their hand on the Bible. I'll be there Sunday. And week after week after week, the guy never showed. I thought, man, what am I going to do with this dude? So finally, I called him this past Saturday. I said, look, man, I love you. I'm praying for you. You need to get your life straightened out. Please come to church Sunday. Service started Sunday. He wasn't there. Halfway through the song service, he walks in with his wife and his baby, and he sits in the back. I'm talking about it, it's disturbing. It, it was always inconvenient to fool with him. And he walked in the back. We stood up, and before I could ever say anything, this guy runs out of the aisle and comes flying down to the front of my church and falls on the altar. He gets up and he said, I'm from Mexico. And I left Mexico and come to America to run from God. Because my daddy's a preacher in Mexico. And my daddy's been praying for me. Because my life's screwed up. And I'm on the bottom. And I am messed up. And I got addictions. And I got problems. And here God let me run all the way from Mexico to Kingsport, Tennessee. To hook me up with a Baptist preacher like my daddy. Then bring me to the church. To the very thing I've been running from. And now here I am saved. Because you didn't give up on me. Because you didn't. It's inconvenient to reach people. Number four and I'm done. We must persist. I want God to give you a burden. So you'll have a desire to win people like never before. We lose this because we doubt that God can save people. You remember when Paul got saved in Acts chapter number 9? Word got back to the disciples at Jerusalem. Hey, Saul of Tarsus got saved. You know what they said? Uh-uh, brother. He's setting us up. He's going to come down here and kill us. And had Barnabas not interceded and brought him down and been a mediator, they'd have never received the Apostle Paul. And by the way, he never turned out to be much. He just wrote 13 books of the Bible you got sitting in your lap tonight. You can't tell God who He can and can't save. This is what I put in my journal. I give the gospel to everybody because I believe God can save anybody. From a preacher's kid to a street pimp, God's grace is sufficient. Whether you live in a mansion or whether you're homeless, God can forgive you. He knows absolutely no limitations. Let me close with this. I'm out of time. I just want to encourage you. Get on an altar and beg God to hook you up with somebody that He can entrust you with to get to Jesus this year. I was preaching a tent meeting in Mississippi. And I noticed every night in the back of the church there's a man. And when we'd stand for invitations, he would get up and run out of the tent every night. And he was in a little old pickup. And he'd squeal the tires and throw gravel everywhere, peeling out of there. Never would stay for an invitation. So after about three nights, I went to the preacher and I said, Now, who is that fellow over there? I said, when he comes in late, and when we stand for invitation, he gets in his pickup and he peels out of here. I said, who is that guy? He said, he's the town drunk. He said, I can't believe he's coming. 
He said, I said, well, he's been here three nights. He said, I know. He said, as far as I know, Tommy ain't never been to church. I said, I, he said, I can't believe he's coming. Come by himself. On the fourth night, I looked back there and he had a woman and another guy with him. So I grabbed the preacher. I said, who's that with him? He said, that's his wife. And he said, that's, he's the town drunk, but he brought the county drunk with him. Because you know, when you're screwed up, you try to find somebody in worse shape than you are. So he brings the county drunk with him. And I was preaching that night and I looked and I saw big old tears begin to run down his rough cut face. He had an untrimmed beard and long shaggy greasy hair. And we stood to our feet and he pushed his wife out of the way. And Sammy came forward and said to me with liquor on his breath, Would God save a town drunk? One of the men said, I'll pray with him. I said, no, you won't. This one's, no, you leave me alone. I'll pray with him myself. He got saved and he got up and announced to the church. They're all standing there that he got saved. I looked and his wife and the other drunk were already out sitting in the pickup. They were gone. After some people shook his hands and I could tell, I could tell it was a Baptist meeting. Because people walked by him like, I don't know. He's been a drunk ever since I can remember him being a drunk. You know what I'm talking about. So the next night, we're standing at the back of the tent, and the preacher's shaking my hand, and the crowds are flooding in. And we're just shaking people's hands left and right. And that preacher looked at me and said, You think that guy got saved? I said, Brother, Jesus said he'd save anybody. If he called on Jesus, I know he got saved. He said, Brother kid, he's the town drunk. I know stuff about him. I don't know if he'll ever come back again. I said, Really? He said, I don't think he'll ever be back. I said, Well, you just shook his hand. And he looked. And there he stood with a white shirt and a tie on, a pair of dress pants, and patent leather shoes. He went over there and looked at him. He said, are you kidding me? Are you the town drunk that got saved last night? He said, I am. His wife came in and said, I need to tell you something. I want to tell you something right now. What happened to my husband? She said, every day at 12 o'clock, he meets the buddies down on the corner in Main Street. and They all get drunk. He's a wino. He has been for years. She said, I work at a sewing company. And she said, at noon, I knew he'd be out getting drunk with his buddies. And I called the house. And sure enough, nobody answered the phone. I hung it up and said, I knew it. He's back drinking again. And she said, he called later on back to where I was working. And they come and got me and said, your husband's on the phone. And he said, honey, I'm sorry. I, I, I know you probably tried calling to see where I was. But he said, let me tell you what I did. He said, I went down to the barber shop. And I said, Danny, I don't have any money, but I got saved last night. And if you'll give me a haircut and trim up my beard, I'm going to get me a job. And I'll come back and I'll pay you in a month or so. He said, crawl up in this chair, boy. If God saved you, it won't cost you a dime. And he said, I got my hair cut, got my beard all trimmed up. And he said, I went down to the little old frontage store down there like a Woolworth. And he said, I walked in and said, Diane, God saved me last night under the tent. And I don't have any clothes to wear. But if you'll give me a shirt and tie and a pair of pants, I'm going to get a job and I'll pay you back in 30 days. She said, son, if God saved you, I'm going to give you a shirt. I'm going to give you a tie. I'm going to give you a pair of pants. I'm going to give you a pair of patent leather shoes. And you don't owe me a dime. He said, honey, I've been out getting my clothes and getting my hair cut. He said, God's been so good to me. He said, I got saved. It's the best thing that ever happened. She said, I hung the phone up. She said, I went back to sewing. 
The Holy Ghost kept saying, if I could save him, I could save you. She said at 2.30 this afternoon, my supervisor came by and I wasn't at my sewing machine. I was under my sewing machine. And my supervisor said, Susie, what are you doing? She said, I'm getting saved if you'll shut up and leave me alone. Oh, you hear me well. I'm glad there's a God in heaven that can save anybody. Let's give the Lord a head clap of praise in His house. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. Oh God, have you got a way?